Hi everyone, welcome to Yale Vascular Review. I'm Ocean. And I'm Kayuri. Your hosts for this exciting first episode of Season 2. We want to start by thanking all of our listeners around the globe. We are grateful for your support. And of course, thankful for the guidance of our faculty mentors, Dr. Tonneson and Dr. Cardella. This month, we will be revisiting thoracoabdominal aortic pathologies and looked at papers in Journal of Vascular Surgery, European Journal of Vascular Surgery, and Annals of Vascular Surgery. And stay tuned for a very special guest speaker joining us later today. And on that note, let's get started. Our first paper today is from Annals of Vascular Surgery, January issue. It was titled, Greater Curvature, Center Line, or Straightened Center Line Length, which length is most accurate for pre-procedural planning in thoracic endovascular aortic repair? Authors include Dr. Oja and Dr. Sharma from All India Institute of Medical Sciences, New Delhi, India. Immediate post-op CTAs of 30 patients who underwent T-VAR between 2015 and 2017 were retrospectively analyzed. Automated centerline, great to curvature length, straightened centerline length, and the straight line length were measured between proximal and distal ends of the stent graft, and results were compared with the true length of the stent graft. Tortuosity index was calculated by dividing automated centerline length by straight line length. Ocean, before you go further, I just want to explain what all of these lengths mean for any students and trainees listening. Greater curvature length is the length of the stent graph opposing the greater curvature of the aorta. The straightened centerline length was obtained by straightening out the CT of the aorta and then measuring the centerline. And the straight line length is just the linear length between the two endpoints in an unmodified CT. And the tortuosity index is the ratio between the centerline and the linear distance between the endpoints, and it provides an estimate of the tortuosity of the aorta. Thank you, Kiyori. They found that greater curvature length was the closest in predicting the true length overall, as well as in both dissection and aneurysm subgroups. There was a significant difference between centerline measurement and true length, as well as between straightened centerline length and true length. These differences were greater in the dissection subgroup than in the aneurysm subgroup. The difference between true length and straightened centerline length had a significant positive correlation with tortuosity. They concluded that the greater curvature length predicts the actual total length of the deployed stent graft more accurately than centerline or straightened centerline length. Hence, it should be used in planning for the length of stent graft required for T-VAR. That is really helpful information for preoperative T-VAR planning. That is, and it's also very exciting, Kiri, because this paper is from an institute in India, and I'm from India. Yeah, this is our first time featuring a paper from an Indian institute. Ocean, I remember during my vascular rotation, I noticed that the timing of aortic repair was a topic that generated a lot of discussion, so I wanted to bring up this next paper from the February JVS titled Impact of Thoracic Endovascular Aortic Repair Timing on Aortic Remodeling in Acute Type B Aortic Intramural Hematoma. That sounds interesting. The authors included Dr. Mesar and Dr. Panatin from Eastern Virginia Medical School. A retrospective chart review was performed on patients who underwent TVAR for acute type B intramural hematoma from 2008 to 2018. True lumen diameter and total aortic diameter at the site of maximal pathology were evaluated. The primary endpoint was aortic remodeling, evidenced by a total aortic diameter divided by true lumen diameter ratio closest to 1. 70 patients underwent TVAR for acute type B intramural hematoma, 25 emergent TVAR, which is within 24 hours, and 45 delayed TVAR, which was after 24 hours. Patients did not defer in presenting intramural hematoma thickness, nor presenting 
total aortic diameter to true lumen diameter ratio for the emergent TVAR and delayed TVAR groups, respectively. Emergent TVAR patients had larger average presenting maximal descending aortic diameter and higher incidence of penetrating aortic ulcer on presenting CTA. There was no difference between groups for 30-day mortality. Post-op aortic remodeling was more complete in the delayed TVAR group. At 12 months, freedom from aortic-related adverse events and mortality was higher in the delayed TVAR group. Post-op total aortic diameter to true lumen diameter ratio was the best predictor for late aortic-related adverse events. They concluded that delaying TVAR when clinically possible could improve aortic remodeling and aortic-related outcomes. Kiri, talking about TVARs, do you know the aortic zones? Of course. I was reading about it for my sub-eye. Um, for the sake of this paper, I'll just stick to the thoracic aorta. Uh, zone 0 is from the um, aortic root to the innominate artery. Zone 1 is innominate artery to left common carotid. Zone 2 is the left common carotid to the left subclavian. Zone 3 is the first 2 centimeters distal to the left subclavian. Zone 4 is zone 3 to the mid-descending aorta. And zone 5 is the mid-descending aorta to the celiacs. Good job, Kiyuri. This next paper is from the same group, Dr. Mesar and Dr. Panatin's group at Eastern Virginia Medical School. This was titled, A More Proximal Landing Zone is Preferred for Thoracic and Devascular Repair of Acute Type B Aortic Dissections. This was published in January issue of Journal of Vascular Surgery. They performed a retrospective chart review of patients undergoing TVAR for Complicated Acute Type B Aortic Dissection, or TBAD, within six weeks of diagnosis from 2008 to 2018. Patients were divided into landing zone 2 TVAR and zone 3 TVAR groups. Zone 2 patients were further divided between left subclavian artery revascularization group versus subclavian coverage without revascularization group. Total 83 patients underwent TVAR for complicated acute TBAD. 90% of these patients had less than 2 cm of healthy proximal descending thoracic aorta. The landing zone was zone 3 in 35 patients, and 48 patients underwent zone 2 TVAR. Out of these, 10 with subclavian coverage and 38 with subclavian revascularization. The postoperative spinal cord ischemia rate was about 3% for zone 2 revascularization group, 0% for zone 3, and 20% for zone 2 group with coverage of subclavian. The postoperative thoracic aortic rupture was 2.2% in zone 2 and 0 in zone 3. Freedom from aortic-related adverse events and mortality at 36 months was higher in zone 2 versus zone 3. The freedom from proximal reintervention was higher in zone 2 compared with zone 3. They concluded that in patients treated for complicated acute TBAD, Zone 2 is associated with a lower need for aortic reintervention and aortic-related adverse events than Zone 3. Patients may benefit from a more aggressive proximal landing zone with similar perioperative morbidity when Zone 2 TVAR is done with left subclavian revascularization. That was awesome. It's too bad we're done learning about TBAD. That joke was too bad. <laughs> and now, Ocean, do you want to introduce our guest speaker? Yes, absolutely. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Julia Chen. She's our amazing former chief resident from Yale who graduated last spring and is currently doing an aortic fellowship at University of Toronto. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Hey, Ocean. Hi, Kayori. How's it going? It's good, and we're excited to have you on the show today. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how this aortic fellowship works? 
Sure. I was fortunate enough to be involved with a lot of aortic cases while I was at Yale. And going back as far as PGY3 year, I knew that I wanted it to be my research and clinical focus. The University of Toronto offers this really unique opportunity to focus on exactly that. I rotate between the cardiac and vascular surgery services over the course of two years, and the majority of cases I'm logging these days are aortic cases, ranging anywhere from the most proximal extent in the aortic route all the way down to the bifurcation. And on days when there are no aortic cases, I'm still involved in the entire spectrum of vascular cases, including fistulas, bypasses, carotids, and angios, etc. One additional thing I'd like to highlight also is that because I'm in Canada, we're not limited by the FDA, and I've been really fortunate to be routinely involved in planning and executing complex endovascular cases using custom branch fenestrated thoracoabdominal grafts and arch grafts as well. And having these options available readily really does change the way you think about treating these aneurysms. Have you read any interesting papers recently that you would like to share with us? Sure. The January issue of JVS had an interesting paper titled Female Gender is Associated with Increased Late Luminal Narrowing Within the Stent Graft After Thoracic Endovascular Aortic Repair, with Dr. Kuo and Dr. Rajani as authors from Emory University School of Medicine. So this was a retrospective analysis of a multi-center healthcare system involving all patients who underwent TVAR between July 2011 and July 2019, with at least one year of subsequently available surveillance contrast CT imaging. There were 208 patients who met the inclusion criteria, 94 women and 114 men, with a median follow-up of 822 days, or 2.3 years. The mean annual rate of percent intragraft diameter reduction was 10.5% for women and 7.6% for men. Multivariate analysis demonstrated female gender, preoperative diagnosis of hypertension, and need for coverage of the left subclavian artery were all significant predictors of intragraft luminal narrowing. Small aortic diameters were not found to be associated independently with ingraft luminal narrowing, nor was the concomitant use of antiplatelet or anticoagulation medications. Significant amounts of ingraft luminal narrowing, which was defined as greater than 20% intragraft diameter decrease, were associated with an increased need for any reintervention including for malperfusion, endoleak, and symptomatic aneurysm. Kaplan-Meier estimates demonstrated a significant gender-associated difference in high rates of intragraft luminal narrowing. The authors concluded that these findings may be attributable to differences in aortic compliance or gender-associated differences in coagulation pathways. Interesting. Didn't you look into gender differences in thoracic and thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms? Yes, that's right. I did do research with the Aortic Institute at Yale when I was a resident, um, and we published a study in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery titled Increased Virulence of Descending Thoracic and Thoracoabdominal Aortic Aneurysms in Women. In this study, we looked at the natural history of descending thoracic and thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms of 907 patients, including 292 women, with a median follow-up of three years in each subgroup. 
And our findings were significant for faster aneurysm growth, higher rates of dissection, rupture, and aortic death in women. So overall, this is consistent with a growing body of literature that suggests that historic guidelines for aortic intervention may be biased toward the male sex. So I definitely think future investigations focused on identifying mechanisms behind these differences will be of particular interest. That's some interesting data. This is particularly interesting for me as I'm looking at gender differences in AV fistula remodeling in the lab right now. Yeah, Kiri's doing some great work in the lab. Thank you, Dr. Chen, for joining us today. Of course. Anytime. Our next paper is from the December JVS with Dr. Kobel and Dr. Jakimowicz from Germany, um, and it's titled Early Outcomes of the T-Branch Off-the-Shelf Multi-Branch Stent Graft in 542 Patients for Elective and Urgent Aortic Pathologies, a Retrospective Observational Study. This study included patients treated using the Cook Medical T-Branch in elective or urgent settings for complex abdominal aortic aneurysm and thoracoabdominal aneurysm between 2014 and 2019. Early experience time period was 2014 to 2016, and late experience was from 2017 to 2019. A total of 542 patients were included. 63% were elective, 90% were thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms. The technical success rate was 97%. The total 30-day mortality rate was 12.3%. The mortality rate was associated with older age and with lower baseline GFR. In elective cases, the mortality rate was associated with the history of coronary artery disease and higher body mass index. In urgent cases, the mortality rate was associated with older age and lower baseline GFR. The spinal cord ischemia rate was 10.5% and was associated with the early study period. On early CTA, the primary patency rate for the right renal artery was 99.6%, 100% for the left renal artery, 99.4% for the superior mesenteric artery, and 99.8% for the celiac trunk. Okay, so they concluded that elective and urgent use of the T-branch, multi-branch, off-the-shelf stent graft showed high technical success and early target vessel patency rates. Early mortality and morbidity rates were acceptable with the T-branch device. Our next paper looks at fenestrated and branched repairs and is titled Preoperative and Postoperative Predictors of Clinical Outcome of Fenestrated and Branched Endovascular Repair for Complex Abdominal and Thoracoabdominal Aortic Aneurysms in an Italian Multicenter Registry. This was published in the December JVS by Dr. Galito and Dr. Gargiulo on behalf of the Italian Multicenter Fenestrated and Branched Study Group. Between 2008 and 2019, all consecutive patients undergoing FBVAR in four Italian university centers were recorded prospectively and analyzed retrospectively. Preoperative comorbidities and post-op complications were classified according to the Society for Vascular Surgery Reporting Standard. 596 patients underwent FBVAR for 124 juxtarenal AAAs, 121 pararenal AAAs, and 351 thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms. 87% were elective, and 13% were urgent procedures. Post-op cardiac, pulmonary, and renal complications were reported in 7%, 8%, and 13% of patients, respectively. Bowel ischemia occurred in 1% of cases, and 4% had cerebrovascular complications. 8% of patients suffered spinal cord ischemia. Freedom from target visceral vessels occlusion and freedom from reintervention were 96% and 92% at 1 year, and 93% and 85% at 3 years, respectively. Survival was 88% and 78% at 1 and 3 years, respectively. 
preoperative chronic renal failure, urgent repair, thorco-abdominal aortic aneurysms, post-op bowel ischemia, cardiac complications, and pulmonary complications were independent predictors of mortality during follow-up. They concluded that FBVAR is associated with satisfactory midterm outcomes in a nationwide experience. A variety of risk factors should be considered in FBVAR indications and post-op patient management to decrease the risk of post-op complications and improve midterm outcomes. Curie. This same group had another paper in December JVS, which was titled Reinterventions After Fenestrated and Branched Endografting for Degenerative Aortic Aneurysms. In this study, from 2006 to 2019, all patients who had undergone FBVAR for juxta or paravenal AAAs or thoracoabdominal aneurysms were prospectively enrolled. Cases requiring reinterventions were retrospectively analyzed. Overall, 221 FBVAR procedures were performed in 111 juxta or paravenal aneurysms and 110 thoracoabdominal aneurysms. 82% were elective and 18% were urgent. Overall, 41 patients underwent 52 reinterventions. Out of these, 32 occurred within 30 days. Eight reinterventions were performed in an urgent setting. Technical success was 95%. Patients undergoing reintervention had more frequently undergone a primary urgent repair and had thoracoabdominal aneurysms. The patients with thoracoabdominal aneurysms had had a greater incidence of target visceral vessel-related reintervention and multiple reinterventions compared to those with juxta or paravenal aneurysms. Three-year survival rate was 75% and freedom from reintervention was 81%. Reinterventions were more frequent after thoracoabdominal aneurysms and urgent FBVAR procedures and had a significant effect on overall survival in these situations. And now, our final paper for this episode is also from Italy. Oh, that's great. Wow, lots of great research coming from there. I guess this means we should visit and learn more about this, you know, <laughs> fieldwork for the next episode. Yes, would love to take this educational trip. And now, the last paper for today is Bridging Stent Graft Fracture After Branched Endovascular Aortic Repair in a Dual Center Retrospective Cohort Study from February JVS. The authors include Dr. Janai and Dr. Silangardi from Italy. This was a dual center observational retrospective cohort study. Data of patients treated with BVAR between 2008 and 2019 were prospectively collected. 295 target visceral vessels in 91 patients were considered suitable for cannulation. Technical success was 97%. Five bridging stent graft fractures were detected. Four involved the superior mesenteric artery and one the celiac trunk. Four different types of fractured stents were detected. Two Advanta, one B-graft, one Fluency, and one Viabon. The median time to stent fracture was 28 months. Bridging stent graft fracture is a rare but severe complication after BVAR. It is not related to the stent type used, and it is hardly predictable based on pre-op anatomy. Using multiple and different stents on the same vessel and relining the bridging stents with bare metal stents may increase bridging stent graft fracture risk. A strict CTA follow-up remains the best strategy to detect large vessel instability. And that concludes our first episode of Season 2. Thanks for joining us on this vascular gondola ride through the aorta. Once again, we're going to share a link to a five-minute survey with some questions about your experience listening to this podcast. The link can be found in the description as well as on Twitter. We would appreciate if you could fill it out when you have a chance. And five individuals who fill out the survey will randomly be selected for a prize. 
Please feel free to leave feedback on our Twitter or Instagram posts, and be sure to subscribe to Yale Vascular Review on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Thank you everyone for tuning in this month. And until then, stay centerlined. <laughs>